You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. This Lenten season, we've been walking through the theme of being formed in the wilderness. And there may be no more fitting theme and motif for the moment that we find ourselves in as a society and a culture than the wilderness. As we face the threat of coronavirus and the spread that has essentially not allowed us to gather as a church anymore and has kind of pushed us into smaller gatherings and many people are feeling isolated and alone and confused and disoriented. Many of us are in our wilderness moment. But what we've been looking at from the scriptures is how God meets us in those lonely, confusing, disorienting wilderness moments, not just to be present with us, but to shape us and to form us. And so this week, what we're doing is we're looking at our second biblical character, an individual that was formed in the wilderness. You've probably heard of him. His name's Moses. But it's probably not the Moses. We're going to meet a a different Moses than you're probably used to and that you're familiar with. This is a Moses in his younger years that needed some serious shaping and formation. And so the passage from which the teaching will be based is Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says this, one day when Moses had grown up, He went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you prince and judge over us. Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid. And he thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and he saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Raul, he said, how is it that you've come home so early today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand, out from the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. This is God's word. The famous poet that once wrote these words, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood, and I looked down one as far as I could. 
to where it bent under the undergrowth. He goes on to say, two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. You see, the Lenten season is a time where we take the road less traveled by, the path into the wilderness with Jesus, with the confidence that it will, in fact, make all the difference in us, in our heart, in our soul. But it's also a a time that forces us to, to recognize that, as Robert Frost captures in this poem, that one traveler cannot take two paths. We cannot straddle the way of the world and the way of Jesus. There's a broad path, the scripture tells us, and there is a narrow path, and we must choose which to walk. Two roads diverged in a wood, and you must choose which to travel. Fork in the road. Now, a philosopher by the name of Robert Kane, developed this idea around these life-changing moments that occur when life presents a fork in the road. And he says that our truest selves are often revealed in moments where our will is divided, where we feel torn by a decision where we could go this way or that way. These are the places where our identity is Revealed, But in addition, he says, the, in addition to the real you being revealed, these are the places also where the real you is reinforced. In other words, identity isn't just seen in these moments, it's shaped and forged in these moments. And I think that there's a lot of overlap between what he's saying and our Christian idea of spiritual formation. What we are becoming is shaped, for better or for worse, by the forks in the road, by the decisions that we we make, the the big ones, the big decisions, and also those small daily decisions that we make when we think the world is watching and when we think no one is watching. This is where we meet Moses, at one of those turning points where he must come to terms with who he is, and more importantly, with who God has made him. He must choose which identity to live into. This is difficult. You see, he was born an oppressed Hebrew, but by God's providence, he was brought up as Egyptian royalty in the house of Pharaoh himself. And this left Moses torn as he found himself caught between the power and the privilege of his Egyptian upbringing and also the pain and the oppression of his Hebrew family. In fact, this extremely abrupt action that we read about here in the life of Moses, killing an Egyptian, in my opinion, is reflecting years, if not decades, of unsettled confusion. Confusion about who he is. And it's interesting to me that it isn't until he is brought into the wilderness, into Midian, that he begins to make sense of who he is. In fact, 
It is only after he settles into obscurity and, quote, becomes content, it tells us, content to release his grip on life as he knew it. It's only after that moment that he is able to then come to terms with his identity. And so for this reason, I've titled this message, Redefined in the Wilderness. Redefined. In obscurity. And there are three areas of Moses' life that we're going to look at from this passage. His people, his position, and his preparation. Looking first at his people. Now, by this point of the story, Moses is 40 years old. This is a perfect time for a midlife crisis. He's been raised up with the wealth and the education and the opportunities of being a royal prince. Now, I'm sure that it came with a number of uh, responsibilities and a certain sense of weight that came with that position, but there is no doubt it also came with a lot of privilege and a lot of opportunities, and this is the, the life that he is willing to move away from. We're seeing something very similar occurring right now in the UK with the British family and the news of Prince Harry and Prince Meghan's uh, renouncing their, their royal titles and choosing to, to settle into a more normal life, a civilian life, seeking a different life than the ones that they have. And here we see, despite having the kind of life most people would dream of having, Moses finds himself Longing for something else. He finds himself asking really deep questions like, is there something more? Is there something I'm missing here in my life? He's, he's restless. And like so many of us, he's trying to come to terms with who he is. And he realizes the place in his life is making that very difficult. Look with me in verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Now, apparently at some point during his upbringing, we don't know when, but sometime before this moment, he was made aware that he was a Hebrew man living In an Egyptian home. In other words, he finds out he's adopted. And like so many people that find out that they're adopted, he is now looking to retrace his story and make sense of his ancestry. And so he goes out and it says he's watching. He's looking at, quote, his people, his Hebrew people. Now, what I think Moses knew deep down was that there was going to be a day in his life where he would have to align with either his Egyptian identity or his Hebrew identity. He knew he was going to have to choose which Moses he was going to be, the old Moses or the new Moses. And this conflict that we read about here between the Egyptian guard and the Hebrew slave seems to press the issue for him. This becomes the unavoidable fork in the road. He can't unsee what he's just seen. He can't not respond. And so he jumps in to fix the problem. But this, I believe, is where Moses makes his mistake. And it's not that he jumps in to help the situation. That is a just impulse. It's not that he responds to the situation. 
I believe his mistake is how he responds to the situation. Look at me in verse 12. And he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. This is how we are to know when we are moving in the wrong direction, when we are moving toward sin, when sin rebellion is leading in our lives. It's through the covering up. That is typically the indicator that we know deep down that what we are doing is wrong. And it doesn't matter how religious you are or not. This is an impulse, a human impulse that we can retrace all the way back to our original parents, Adam and Eve. When they sinned against God, what did they do? They tried to cover themselves. They tried to cover it up. And this is how we know that we are living into the wrong identity. What's he doing? I believe Moses is trying to straddle both routes. Let let me explain. Moses is trying to be faithful to his Hebrew family. He's stepping in to defend, and yet he's doing so by acting as an Egyptian dictator. And so what we see in this moment is that he is trying to live into his new identity But he's doing so by living out of his old identity. And here's the sad outcome that occurs when we try to straddle the line between our worldly, our old worldly identity and our God-given identity that comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the sad outcome. It puts us at odds with both. And so now at this point of the story... After trying to embrace the way of the world and trying to embrace the way of God simultaneously, not only does Moses find himself feeling like an outsider among his Egyptian people and now an outcast among his Egyptian people, he now finds himself as an outsider among his Hebrew relatives as well. They don't accept him either. In fact, in Acts chapter 7 in the New Testament, when it's retelling this account, It says that they thrust him aside. His Hebrew brother thrust him aside, leaving him more confused than ever. In fact, by the time he arrives in Midian, the daughters of Raul introduce him as an Egyptian. Now, I'm reading through this, and it's just so confusing. He's a Hebrew, born a Hebrew, raised an Egyptian, goes out to his Hebrew people, identified as an Egyptian. What are you, Moses? He's an Egyptian, it's true, but it's not true. And it's interesting, it doesn't even seem like he he tries to to correct them. Everyone around him is confused about who he is. Why? Well, as Ruth Haley Barton put it, people around him were confused about who he is because he was confused about who he was. They're confused about him because he's confused about him. And here's the application. You cannot expect for anyone to affirm your identity when you don't even know who you are. In that, just the case of our culture right now, affirm me, affirm me, affirm me. But we don't even know who we are. And in the vacuum that's created in the void of not knowing who we are, what ends up happening is that we make ourselves extremely susceptible and vulnerable to believing just about anything that anyone tells us about us. You're an Egyptian? Yeah, 
sure, I guess. But here's the lesson. The more that you straddle the line, the more you lose yourself. The longer you try to live into the old you and the new you, the less you will find yourself belonging anywhere. And like Moses, you will find yourself at odds with both the world and the kingdom in a very lonely place. His people. Secondly, his position. With me in verse 13. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong. That's interesting. Remember that. He said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? Now, isn't it fascinating how we can be so attuned to the wrongdoings of others and so wise and so capable of determining who is right and who is wrong while being so blind to all of our own glaring issues? Dude just killed an Egyptian, and the very next day, he's going out and judging people for striking one another. This is our first clue. That Moses thinks that he is something that he's not. Verse 14. And he, the man, answered, well, who made you prince and judge over us? Fighting words. Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid, and he thought, surely the thing is known. Now, this to me is where the story gets really interesting. Because they ask, who made you prince and judge over us. Now that is a very complicated question with an even more complicated answer. See, in one sense, he was prince and judge over them. He is prince of Egypt. You ever seen the movie? That's Moses. He is, and yet, in another sense, he's not. He was the Moses that would one day deliver the entire Hebrew nation out of slavery, and he would become the greatest human leader that Israel has ever known. But not yet. And definitely not like this. See, Moses is is trying to assume a position that he was not yet, he has not yet been appointed to, and he's trying to function in a role that he's not yet prepared for. Let me make this really practical. The only person that you are prepared to be right now is the right now you. Dr. Seuss put it this way. Today, you are you. That is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. Now, I know, gosh, I know what it feels like to be caught between, the feel, between feeling stirred and passionate and having vision for something out in the future and yet having to come to terms with my own limitation and my own season of life and issues of, of timing. In fact, if I could be honest with you, I have struggled my entire adult life and probably even earlier than that into my teen years 
feeling like I should be further along than where I am. I always have that, that deep down angst that I am here, but I should be there. I am this, but I should be that. I should be further in my career. Gosh, I should be further along in my schooling. Gosh, I should be further along in the way that I parent. I should be further along in, in how I pastor. I sh- I'm this, but I should be that. Deep angst. So I sat down with a mentor of mine at the end of last year, and I was just sulking in all my disappointments about myself like the big baby that I am. And I remember him saying, he said, you need to stop trying to live as some future version of yourself. He told me, you are not the 40-something you. And you're definitely not the 50-something version you. You are the now you, he told me. And he said, you are here now, and you are not yet prepared to be the future you. You need to be faithful to where God has placed you right now. And these were the, this was the punch in the gut. He said, you need to give yourself permission to be you. Oh. Brittany, you need to give yourself permission to be you. Because the truth is, we are not fit to be future versions of ourselves, not. The only person that we are fit to be is the us that we are right now. And so that, that, that means it needs to, that idea needs to manage our expectations about life. Let's get really practical here for a moment. If you're in your 20s, I hate to break it to you, but you should expect to arrive at nothing in your 20s. Now, if you do, that's great. But just don't expect it. Just realize that anything that you arrive at in your 20s is absolute grace, but you are not entitled to it. And what I'm learning in my 30s is that you should expect to arrive at nothing in your 30s as well, and into your 40s, and into your 50s. In fact, I love this. Moses is 40 years old at this point where he's driven into the wilderness. Do you know how old he is when he reemerges out of the wilderness and back into Egypt, ready to lead Israel into the promised land? 80. He goes into the wilderness, 40. He reemerges as an 80-year-old man. And the math is interesting because to me it means that for every year that he thought he was something special in Egypt, He needed an equal amount of years in obscurity, being a nobody, to become the person that God was calling him to be. He needed this time in the wilderness to undo all the expectations of what he thought he should be. So back to the question, who made you prince and judge over us? This is key. Whether these guys know it or not, like this is key to the whole equation here. Who made you? made you because there is a huge difference between you making yourself something and God making you something see the truth is we can try to take matters into our own hands and we can try to place ourselves in positions that we think that we deserve to be in but like we see in the life of Moses it always has fallout trying to be something that we are not always costs us And unfortunately, the people around us. And here's the irony. The irony is that God was calling Moses to be the deliverer of his people. But not on Moses' own terms. And not on Moses' own 
timing. See, the best that Moses could do in this sort of self-appointed position was to kill one Egyptian and do pretty much nothing for the current state of the nation of Israel in slavery. He kills one person and doesn't even make a dent in their struggle and in their burden. But what he didn't understand was what God was capable of doing through him if he simply submitted himself to God's process of preparation. If he submitted himself to God's timing and all that God had for him in store. Which leads us finally into Moses' preparation, his preparation. Now, before we can make before we can make a difference out there, whatever out there is for you, in the world, or in the nation, or in your community, or in the workplace, or in your family, or in your friendship circles, before we can make a difference out there, we need God, and we need to recognize our need for God to do a profound work in here. And that's what the wilderness is all about. The wilderness is often that place a preparation where God is doing the deep work within us to prepare us for what he has for us. In fact, as we look at scriptures, the wilderness is almost always the staging ground for a future work of God, for a profound, miraculous move of God. It begins in seed form in the wilderness. Look at me in verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Midian is the desert, but God provides wells. When we find ourselves in dry and desolate places, we find that God is refreshing our soul. But there's also something interesting here, because throughout the scriptures, Whenever someone sat down at a well, it means something significant was going to happen. As we read through the book of Genesis, someone sits down at a well, they meet their spouse, and they end up getting married, and the promise of offspring, the promised future seed that will deliver Israel continues through the family line. Someone sits down at a well, and something big happens. So if you're single and ready to mingle, maybe find yourself a well. That one's for free. Look at me in verse 16. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up, and he saved them, and he watered their flock. So when they came home to their father, Raul, he said, how is it that you come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And so he said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may come and eat bread. And so Moses, listen to this, was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. Now, we don't have time to get into the rest of Moses' life. There are entire books in the Old Testament that retell that story. And who knows, maybe one day we'll walk through the book of Exodus as a church but the quick version is this, that God gives Moses a vision and a mission to deliver Israel out of Egypt and to bring them into the promised land. And God is with Moses, and eventually, 
Eventually, years later, Moses would lead a community of over 2 million people, maybe upwards of 2.5 million people through the wilderness. But God has him start here with just a few, just a handful of people. It was Jesus himself who said in Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little, not just little, very little, can also be trusted with much. Which means that we should never resent the seasons of life with very little. Little jobs, little children, Little titles, little recognition, little fill in the blank. Because even the most little seed can populate an entire grove. We must never underestimate the value of small things, especially when Jesus likened the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. The smallest seed that grows up to be the biggest plant in the garden. This is what's occurring in Moses' life. His future public role as Israel's deliverer is being refined in obscurity, in the obscurity of the wilderness. This is a season of preparation. Now, I'm reminded of a story from my child, a movie from my childhood, Karate Kid, where Daniel goes to Mr. Miyagi to be trained in the art of karate. But to his surprise, Mr. Miyagi gives him the strangest tasks. Like he gives him a paintbrush and he says, you know, like paint the fence. He comes back and he, he gives him a wax and, and, and a towel and he says wax. And, and sand the floor and all these, these, these small, humble, boring tasks. And so Daniel is mad. In fact, I went back and watched this clip just recently. He's like cursing. I forgot. Like he's just like cursing out. Mr. Miyagi, he is absolutely upset, and he's just like, all this time, I've been busting my butt, and, and I haven't even learned a thing. You're, you're, you're supposed to be training me, but all you're doing is just treating me like your own personal slave. But what did we find out? More importantly, what does Daniel find out? What he finds out is that he is being trained, and he has been being trained all along. Sand the floor. Wax on, wax off, paint the fence. It's like, I don't know karate, but it's like all part of the chop, chop stuff. It's all been part of his preparation, and yet he didn't recognize it. See, Moses will one day shepherd a nation through the wilderness. But he must first learn what it means to shepherd a flock of sheep in the desert of Midian. One day Moses will be Israel's protector against fierce, I mean fierce, foreign enemies. But first he must learn to defend a group of vulnerable sisters. He will one day provide water for, for a thirsty nation. Two million mouths, thirsty mouths to give water to. But he must first learn how to draw water from a well to provide for a family. And this Moses will one day record the story of God's creation and the story of his redemption 
bringing his people out of slavery and into the promised land. He will write entire books of the Bible, but he must first come to grips with his own story. This is what we see occurring in verse 22, our final verse. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. See, it's here when he settles into life in the wilderness that it clicks for him. This is the moment where all the moving pieces of his life click. This is his moment of redefinition where he is finally able to make sense of where he's been and now, therefore, able to make sense of where he is going. This is the first time in the story of Moses that he is able to say with conviction and clarity, this is who I am. But you see, this isn't just a story about how Moses finds himself and is redefined and comes to term with his, his, his story. This is a foreshadowing of how we too are redefined, of how we receive a, a new identity as the people that God has called us to be. You see, the life of Moses prefigures the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And there are some wild similarities that we see in this passage. Just think with me here for a moment. Moses went out to his people. He left the security and the comforts of his throne to come and identify with the sufferings of his people. Sound familiar? Just as Jesus would leave the comforts and security of his heavenly throne and come to his people to identify with their sufferings. Moses would be rejected by his own people. Jesus would be rejected by the people he came to save. Moses was driven into the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was driven into the wilderness for 40 days. Moses would meet a group of women at a well and draw them water. And thousands of years later, Jesus would meet a very vulnerable woman at a well too. One who was living in hiding. And there he would say to her and to us these words, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In a lot of ways, this is all pointing to Jesus. But where Jesus differs from Moses here, a striking difference, in fact, is that he didn't come to deliver his people by taking someone's life. Jesus came to deliver his people by laying down his own life. You see, Jesus himself was the one that would be struck down and buried so that we could be delivered. Where Moses failed to deliver his people that day through his actions, Jesus, through his death, his burial, and his powerful resurrection succeeded in delivering all those who would trust upon him. See, it's not Moses that we follow into the wilderness to discover our new identity. And it's not even the wilderness itself that has the power to change our lives. It's the presence of this Jesus, this Rescuing Jesus that we meet in the wilderness that truly transforms our lives. 
And it's through intimacy with him, through loving him and abiding in him and through communion with his spirit that we too are formed and we too are empowered to live in to the new identity that we receive to become the men and women that God has called us to be. This is how we are formed in the wilderness by trusting in Christ and by entrusting ourselves to him. That's my prayer for you. As you find yourself in this wilderness moment of insecurity and confusion and disorientation, that you would find and discover the life-transforming presence of Jesus Christ who is making you new.